In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the geek culture podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. What is up? <laughs> A. <laughs> A. Uh, what are we? Don't even, you know? What are we talking about here? Uh, let's be the crew. I'm Brent Molina. I play video games, and my favorite thing about Canada is Keanu Reeves. Although Ryan Reynolds is a pretty close second. I'm Brian Truitt. I've watched 20 movies in the last six days, and my favorite thing about Canada is. It's like America, but it's just like a little off. Like if England still ran us, but there was like a pocket of us that was like run by France. It's so, like French and French stuff was everywhere. Okay, real quick, Canada food. Did you try anything like fun? I had a lot of Subway. Because you had Subway well, no, in Canada? I, I try to keep it cheap. Understood. Cheap. But also some of the stuff I went to, like they were like 930 like premieres. So you're just like two hours, so it's 11.30. And if there's a Q&A, it's like 12. Nothing's open in Canada. So there was like this 24-hour subway that was on my walk home. And I would just go by there all the time. Fair, okay, fair point, fair point. I, yeah, I was not going like, to order like the $40 like room service at like midnight. Yes, I, I, I totally get that, totally. If this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, we would totally love it if you could write a quick review about the show, because not only do listeners who like nerdy pop culture, who don't know about the show, can find us, and as a bonus, you get a shout out in the next episode. Everybody wins. Try it out. We get great feedback, and you get to tell us what you want from the show, so it's great. Um, don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod. You can also email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Let's get to the main topic. Here's a clip. Vivi had a sudden flash of memory, something she had tried to bury for years. She was in a living room that wasn't her own, pretending to be someone she wasn't, someone who looked just like her. They had switched clothes and hairstyles and gone to each other's houses. Her hair was falling out of the clumsy pigtails the other girl had done for her. She remembered the thrill and fear of being found out. It was the rush she had been chasing ever since. If you're a fan of the TV show Orphan Black, you recognize that voice, Tatiana Maslany, the actress from Regina Saskatchewan, who played a number of various clones on the sci-fi series, is continuing the property in a new way. Premiering this week on Serial Box, Orphan Black, the next chapter, catches up with the characters eight years after the show ended with ten new audio episodes. The first installment's up now, and there's one releasing every week. Along with this special guest, though, we also are basically doing essentially kind of a Canada tribute episode. Um, Although we've already done our Canada tribute episode, it should be like in the second tribute episode for him at some point. That's true. But this one's about all of Canada, really. Yeah. The reason we're doing this is because Brian, as he said, just got back from the Toronto International Film Festival, and he's going to run down some highlights. Before we get to all that, 
Brian had a chance to talk with Tatiana about what fans can expect with Orphan Black's return in a whole new medium. Hey, Tatiana, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for taking time. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, you know, Orphan Black, you know, it had a life in other media other than the TV show. It had the comic books and manga and, you know, it it was a pretty expansive world. Had you guys talked about doing some kind of continuation back when you were ending it? Or was this something that just kind of came your way recently? It definitely was just something that came my way recently. But uh, John and Graham, the creators of the show, we'd always kind of joked about like what the clones would be doing in, when they were 70 years old and and doing that, doing a movie of that. And I, I thought that would be really amazing. But this is, this is fun to get to kind of jump 10 years in the distance and, and in the future and, and see what what has come of their lives and where they're at now and, and sort of how the mystery has continued. I know there's 10 episodes in this next chapter. What what can you say about where we find Sarah and Allison and Kosama and, you know, kind of their lives now? What what this next adventure kind of holds for them? Well, they definitely have, like, been living their lives sort of, you know, in hiding as the clones have to do. And I guess what, what really happens is that they start to realize that the, the world is not so uh, contained as they thought to this list of clones that Rachel had given them and that there are in fact, more out there and, and that um, they kind of can't disengage from the this. They have to kind of always be, once a clone, always a clone. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're sort of pulled back into the mystery of it and, and have to contend with uh, their world going a bit more public than they've ever experienced it before. Are there any new clones? Any, any new people for you to inhabit? Yeah, yeah. It's super fun. I get to explore a bunch of new clones and and also explore a lot of the people that we've we've known through the series who weren't clones so um there's a lot of yeah a lot of new new fun challenges for me and and a lot of great new characters did you have a chance to miss it it ended a, a few years ago you know so it's not like you did this right after the the show ended but was it you know did you have a chance to miss it or you know get away from it enough to to really kind of want to come back yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like a lifetime ago that we did it, honestly. So it's really uh, it's really nice to to kind of get back to it and um, do it in this new format that plays with the same themes and the same characters that we know, but in a totally different format. And selfishly, as an actor, I get to do, you know, I get to explore it differently, and um, and it and it you know requires a different set of skills. So it's yeah, it's been really fun, uh, and and I I definitely missed it when we finished the show and. I was really happy to get back to it. You've done some other audio drama. You did Lock and Key, and you, you've done Hunger Games as well. What do you like about this medium and this kind of form of storytelling that's different than kind of live-action acting? I just really love the kind of quiet, um, private imagination work that you get to do. It's just a different energy. I was doing Broadway when I was doing The Hunger Games, and so there was like this really kind of nice reprieve in getting to go into a studio for six hours and and sit there with with the words and with my own imagination and not feel that big sense of like an audience watching but just kind of like who am I telling this story to do this thing across from me or whatever you know how how kind of private can it feel and I, I really enjoy that level of performance it's, it's so kind of contained and feels like something that we all you know, experienced our parents doing for us when we were kids, when they would read us books or we got to do for our younger siblings or whatever. It's sort of like a really natural kind of 
tradition almost. Uh, yeah, it's just really fun. I just really love it. When you're doing these audio episodes, do you tend to be physical when you're recording? I mean, because that was so much a part of your life. Obviously, you're just using your voice here, but do you find yourself kind of like naturally moving around a lot? No, it's basically contained. And I think that, you know, just the nature of the fact that I have to stand in front of the mic and I can't, I can't really move. It's just going to bung up the recording. So it really requires like putting all the impulses into the voice as opposed to into the body and, and still like using breath and all of that, but just in a different way than I would if I were moving through a space. Um, and again, like that imagination work is where it really comes into play and sort of visualizing things. It, it really forces like that um, kind of work. And it's really, yeah, it's really fun and really uh, challenging for me. Is figuring out different clone personalities and what they're like and what they're what they sound like is that as fun now as it used to be? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have like less kind of collaborators in it in that I don't have you know the hair makeup team to sort of give me their input or the costume team or Catherine Alexandria, who was my clone double, you know, there were all these kind of people to bounce ideas off of and sort of create together in a collaborative sort of nature. But now it's, you know, it's the, it's the writing and it's my own instincts and it's our director and, and that's kind of it, you know, it's, there's definitely less, um, less sort of external visuals or external kind of inputs that I can use. And, and it's kind of more, more uh, from me. Yeah, it's fun. Do you have a favorite new clone that you get to play? Yeah, I like, I really like Vivi Valdez, who's the clone who we, we discover sort of has like a psychological path in which she saw girls who looked like her and, and was told that they were imaginary friends um, and has sort of taken that on to be true. And, and now that she's kind of immersed in, in this new clone world and this conspiracy and this mystery, she she's starting to question those things that she grew up believing. Well, I think that's a really cool perspective that, that not, none of the other clones really had. So I think it's kind of a neat, a neat new way to look at it. Do you think, you know, one day, maybe five years down the line, 10 years down the line, do you feel like Orphan Black will be on back on a screen in some way? I don't know. I mean, you never know. I didn't know that this was going to happen. So there's, there's no telling what, what, Who's, who's going to explore it next? But, um, but I, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of how the series ended, and I'm I'm proud of the the ways in which we continue to explore it. So I I think it's, you know, maybe maybe eventually something will come back. But I I, I quite like how it is. Just a lot of interesting things that are getting revived. You know, Downton Abbey's coming back. It was you know it was a show, and now it's going to be a movie and some other things. Do you have a favorite revival? Something that's like gotten revived. In, you know, in the past, like, you know, five or 10 years that, that you really enjoy? Um, well, selfishly, here's a great way to pitch the next thing I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on Perry Mason for HBO, uh, oh, wow. which was a series that that previously existed. Now it's kind of being reimagined and in a different time period. And uh, and Matthew Reese is playing Perry Mason. Uh, so, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do that. It's, it, like the last year of my life, was uh, on Broadway doing network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, revising the role of Diana Christensen from Faye Dunaway. So, you know, there's like obviously a, a real desire for that right now. People like to kind of reimagine shows that they really love. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Well, and I think things like Network and Perry Mason, you know, they putting them in modern times, you know, law and like media, 
I think you can be a lot more timely with it. You can explore like yeah. a lot of different things now. Totally. And like the context is so different. And, and yeah, I mean, with network, it was, it was shocking how prescient that script was, even though it was written 40 years ago. It was kind of depressingly accurate. Um, and at the time had been sort of a farce and now it's sort of documentary, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Who are you playing in Perry Mason? Can yeah. you say anything about that? Yeah, the character's name is Sister Alice, and she's a preacher who um, who kind of holds court in front of a congregation of thousands and preaches about faith and about God and, and sort of is a bit of a celebrity, much like Amy Semple McPherson was back in the 30s in L.A. So it's a really fun character for me to play. She's just a trip. I love her. Anything else that's coming up for you that, that you're working on or something that you that you filmed and, and is coming out? No, that's that's what I'm doing right now. So I've been doing theater for the past year. So so nothing I've done in the past year is on is on cellular. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's a film I did uh, called Pink Wall, which will be coming out soon um, as well. And uh, that that's something to look out for in an in, indie movie, and it was really great. And then uh, yeah, and then Terry Mason, whenever that comes up. Cool. Thank you so much, Tatiana. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Don't forget the first installment of Orphan Black, the next chapter, is up now, and you can catch new audio episodes releasing every week. Let's move on to the Toronto International Film Festival. Brian is just back from Canada, yep. our lovely neighbor to the north. He's seen a ton of movies over a short period of time. I'm going to start with the one that I have heard a lot of people talk about, and I'm sure a lot of people in our audience are going to want to talk about, which is Joker. Yep. It's out next month. Uh, directed by Todd Phillips. who Hangover did, guy. Hangover, old school, all that stuff. Joaquin Phoenix plays the role of Joker. It's essentially kind of a, not not a prequel, but just kind of a look back at what made him the Joker, pretty it's much. It's an origin story of somebody who, who, if the Joker was an actual person, how you would get to that guy. Yeah. What did you think? It was good. It wasn't great. It was good. He's fantastic, I have to say. Um... I think Heath Ledger's always going to be the creme de la creme of, of Jokerness, and so anything after him is just—I mean, everybody's going to kind of like pale in comparison. We look at Jared Leto and in, in Suicide Squad, and we're like, "Well, do we really need like you know gangster strip club owning Joker after he? You know, it's kind of a that was kind of a I I appreciate the interpretation of it." But it's kind of a, you know, it's it's a step down. It's a very large step down from Heath. <clears throat> Joaquin, what we, Joaquin does is very interesting because it's it's a dude who, like, has an issue with uncontrollable laughter. And, you know, he wants to be a stand-up comedian. He has mental health issues. And, you know, he is, he is someone who's mocked and picked on and, you know, treated badly by pretty much, you know, everybody around him. And it's the story of, like, what happens, on, you know, one bad day could really turn somebody's life around in a you know in a or turn it turn turn it in a very bad direction and so that happens and then you know kind of we get to the point of like him wearing clown make i mean well he's he I mean he's he like he's a clown for hire so it's not you know he's already got the makeup not a stretch no um but i mean kind of like he 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 gets this kind of persona about him and then you know that is what leads to what we all know as as Joker. So what does Joaquin Phoenix do differently with this character that maybe we haven't seen? 
outside of the fact that it's origin story, obviously. I mean, I think it's it's mostly that. It's mostly like, you know, kind of like you see the downward spiral of like, you know, descend into madness, you know, when he gets off his medication and like, you know, the constant like needling by people, the fact that he can't catch a break, the fact that everybody's against him, added to the fact of like Gotham City's like, a, you know, a literal dumpster fire because there's like a garbage strike and there's super rats running around and like, you know, there's the, you know, there's, a, there's class warfare, you know, because you have Thomas Wayne and the rich and then you have everybody else kind of like, you know, in these impoverished conditions and everything. So it's like, it's a city that's like, it's a tinderbox. It's just waiting for like one spark to just erupt into flames. So he gets a sense of like the power that one could have. And that sends him on a bad, bad route. So another thing that I've seen in, in as far as the comments on the movie is the fact that it feels like a very appropriate movie for our time. What it is scary relevant and like not an overly positive. It was like it's both positive and negative because I, I read something. Somebody was like somebody wrote a story about this is like the movie we don't need right now. I mean, I don't. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but I think it it speaks to a lot of different things about our, you know, mental health issues in this country, you know, class struggles in this country, violence, the one percent. It is very timely, and the fact of like tribalism and you know societal toxicity, and you know, it it deals with a lot of stuff that we're dealing with, and the fact that like it turns into kind of like turns very bad, you know, in ter- in terms of like you know, Gotham City residents and what happens in the streets of Gotham and everything. I know it's going to rub people the wrong way, but I think I think it's going to worry people. It's just like, you know, they're gonna, people are going to worry about the fact of like, well, is somebody going to like use this as a thing to like go do something? Because you got to remember, you know, it's like, you know, the whole the Aurora thing. I think he wore, I think he wore a Joker mask. I can't remember the Aurora shooter with Dark, at the Dark Knight Rises. I think he had his hair green or purple too, maybe, <clears throat> yeah. from what I remember. Yeah, so I think, you know, and, and that and that was like, you know, years after Dark Knight, and it was for the, the movie after that. I think there's going to be people worrying about that because, you know, our own culture is very divided right now, and I, I think people are just worried about the next thing to happen to us. I don't know if Joker's going to do all that. But I think it's going to cause conversations. I think people are going to people are going to have conversations about is this kind of thing appropriate right now? You know, what does it say about mental health? What does it say about kind of class struggles and things? I think I think we're going to have some interesting conversations come out of it. Also, that I think we're going to talk about, you know, kind of like how Batman it is. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 predictable in some senses, but also it's just like for something that tries not to be. You know, what we've seen, just trying to be a lot, you know, it seems to be kind of very standalone about like, okay, the, you know, it's it's based on a Joker character. It's a guy with green hair and a, a clown makeup. But it's more, you know, they're like, well, it's more about kind of like the 70s aesthetic and everything. It's pretty batman You know, Thomas Wayne's running around. Bruce Wayne's a kid. You know, I think it's. It's got a lot of stuff like that. So I, I, I wonder, I wonder how many people are going to like also be like, well, you know, is it like, you know, the next step to, you know, Robert Pattinson's young Batman movie? Or is it just like its own thing that's over here while everything else is going on over there? 
So the other thing I've seen in conversation is talk of Oscars. Is this something- he's going to get? One. I mean, he's going to get a nomination. Caveat is the the best actor race is insane. There are so many people vying for Oscars this year, especially in that category. I think though the fact that he's never won an Oscar, he's he's been nominated a few times, but he's never won. He's probably overdue for a win, but I think he's going to get a nomination just because of how what he puts in this role and how and how visceral it is and where he takes it and what he does with it because I think one of the things about why people love the Joker so much and why he said it too is it's limitless in terms of what you can do with it because essentially Joker is a character without an origin story it is it's more of a blank slate in you know, anarchic blank blank slate that you can kind of like you know use it as a lens to put you know a metaphor or something else kind of through and he makes it his own and he's made it his own and Jack Nicholson made it his own but i think it's it's very visceral very violent very kind of like wow you know this is way more brutal than i probably could ever guessed his acting is phenomenal so i think he is going to get a nomination i i do wonder if it's going to get a best picture nomination or not because i think i think it is going to divide people and i think people I don't know if it's going to have the same, like, you know, Black Panther got a Best Picture nomination because it was universally beloved. I don't think this is going to be universally beloved. I think it's going to really divide people. I think it's got a good shot of having a Best Picture nomination, but I think the the best shot it has is uh, with Joaquin. The one thing that I found weird about everything I've seen from the Joker is the sense that they want the viewer to empathize a little bit with his struggle and what got him to where he is. Which is tough to do because if you've seen his story throughout comic books, he's an awful person and just an awful villain. I mean, some of the stuff he's done is just, just, you know, it's hard to root for someone like that, knowing all that story. How do you think this movie tackles that? I mean, did you come away feeling like empathetic toward this character at all? I mean, is that what they were trying to go for? It's hard to say because I think part of the reason why they told the story is they want to they want to just. It's a character study about it's like Taxi Driver or, you know, or any kind of other other those anti-heroes where where you you they want an audience to understand how somebody could end up like this. Maybe not root for them. It's the main character. So they're a, kind of a protagonist in a sense. I think they just want they wanted to explore what does it take to make a person like this, even though he's a very bad guy. How do you get there? What's that path look like? So I don't know if it's empathetic to the certain to a to that degree. Where it's like you know you look at Killmonger in in Black Panther, that is a, I mean that is an a bad sob, but you understand how he got there because his country killed his father and you know his country, you know said you know we you know we don't want you there and he then he goes to take you know to take his place. You know, as as you know, the, the as a rightful ruler in his own mind, I think that's that's a different thing than this, where it's just like, this is a guy who's off his meds. And, you know, he's he's gone down a bad path, and you know, and he's kind of he wants to get back at everybody who's wronged him. They want you to have an understanding of like, how does this happen? A cool thing about Joker is the fact in the comic books he didn't have an origin story. Part of the thing is is you don't know how he happened. If you've ever read the Killing Joke. One of the kind of cool things about what makes that interesting is it throws out there a lot of different scenarios. Like one of them is the failed stand-up comedian. He actually was from, you know, a, a good family, but then bad stuff happened to him. 
it pulls a little bit from things like that. You don't really ever really know how he got to be. It's the unreliable narrator kind of thing. I don't ever think if it makes it like you're supposed to root for him. I think it's supposed to be like it's a very brutal, visceral look at like how bad a road somebody can go. Because I, I, I tweeted out like my reaction. I was like, yeah, this thing is dark. You know, he's really good, blah, blah, blah. And someone said, well, did you like it? Did you, you know, is a good movie? Did you enjoy it? I'm like, yes, it's a good movie. Did I enjoy it? I don't know. That's a harder question because it's, it's, it's like the the deer hunter. Deer hunter is a, you know, it's a good movie. Do you enjoy the deer hunter? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard watch. It's kind of like that where, you know, it's, it's well made. It's it's got its issues, but it's a good movie, but it's, it's a hard watch. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to watch at times. So I recently just watched Dark Knight again. The thing that interested me about this character, and it's kind of why I'm not too sure about this movie, is that Joker's motives have always been just ambiguous. You just don't know why he's doing what he does. You know, mm-hmm. like there's in the movie he talks about the scars he get on his face. And when he when he's talking in the beginning of the movie, he talks about, oh, it's from his dad. And then when he sees um, uh, Rachel. In mm-hmm. halfway through, then he has a totally different story about his wife. Yeah, it's the unreliable narrator thing. Yeah, and then also, but then you also have the quote from Alfred, who's like, "Some men just want to watch the world burn." And so it's like, you have no idea why he's doing anything he's doing. It's just he just thrives on chaos. That's all you know about him, really. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that's kind of the most interesting thing about him is that mystery of not knowing why he's doing this stuff. He's just embracing all this mayhem. And I, I, I don't know if that's the right way to ask this, but. Does this movie feel necessary? Wow, that is a good question. Um, in a sense, you you understand why he's doing what he's doing to a degree, to a degree, um, without giving too much away. You see what happens, the steps that happen. You get it. You you understand how how you, know, you get there. Is it necessary? I don't know. Character studies are cool. The concept of this is cool because it takes something we like a lot of this stuff we've seen before. A character study of taking something and putting it in like a 1970s cinema, you know, like a Martin Scorsese aesthetic. Exploring character, its origins and everything in a place that's like kind of familiar, but like not really now. But like reflecting parts of now. I think that's really interesting. It's a way to reinterpret something that's very familiar. What I was kind of disappointed by was the fact of like, it felt too familiar. It felt too much like they could have done more with just like how unique this thing is. I feel like it's, it's, it's a little too much of what we've seen before. It's necessary. No, if just for to see Joaquin Phoenix in this role, I think it's worth it because I think this guy is one of this generation's greatest actors. It's interesting to kind of see the physical, what he does physically. I mean, he's lost, he's lost so much weight. When you see him, like he's hunched over and there's the bones sticking out of his, you know, shoulder blades and stuff. And it, and it just looks, it, it, it looks brutal. It looks weird. You know, it's, it's weird. It's, it's kind of, it's, he's just watching him. It's uncomfortable to watch because, you know, he's gotten to a point where he's emaciated and, you know, he has these ticks and everything. And, you know, it's it's purposely like that because you're just like, and I think that's part of like what you said before, you know, you, you're, I think you're supposed to feel for him to a certain degree, but not not like approve of the path he goes down. 
Mm-hmm. But I think you're supposed to kind of like you're supposed to feel for him for, to a certain degree because, you know, because he is a person who he's empathetic to a certain degree. But at some point, he when he does, you know, turn a corner, you're like, well, you know, you lost us, dude. So we've had Joaquin Phoenix, Heath Ledger, Jack Nicholson. I'll throw in Mark Hamill, uh, Cesar Romero, Jared Leto, Jared Leto. How would you rank them, Jokers? I don't know if you put Mark Hamill in there because, I mean, he's fantastic. I mean, that voice is fantastic. It's not the same as like having that role physically because it's such a, it is such a physical role with, you know, all the get up and the mannerisms and, and everything. So, well, Mark Hamill's awesome. We're going to take it. We're going to put him to the side. Heath is always going to be number one. I do not see a world where he ever like jumps to number two. I do not. I do not ever see that. It might happen like maybe down far in my lifetime. I just don't think it's going to happen. I would put Joaquin number two. Really? Yeah. Um, Because of what he does. He is a fantastic actor. Heath Ledger was a fantastic actor. I think this is a role where, it, you know, if somebody is really skilled at that, at becoming, you know, these characters about immersing themselves in the darkness, both those guys are like aces at it. Three, I'd say Nicholson, because I think that's a different joke. That's a very over the top, clownish, cartoonish, just bonkers Joker, but he does it so well. I put Cesar Romero after that just because that was the first Joker I was. Me too. I, yeah, I mean, I think that was before I got the comics, and it's a it's a safe Joker, you know. He runs around with fish, tosses bombs. Everything about that show is cartoony, family friendly Joker. Family friendly, but it's just like Cesar Romero had a career before that. <laughs> Side note: I think that's what we forget a lot about those old Batman shows. Anybody who's ever seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they get into that about like you know, kind of you have these icons of cinema and stage and you know and, and tv and everything they get to a certain part in their career and they're, and they're not washed up but like they're not leading roles anymore they're like the side characters where they get beat up by the hero on uh, as, as guest stars on tv shows back to batman that's what happened you know it's just like you look at vincent price otto priminger who was a director played mr free you know vincent price's egghead burgess Caesar, meredith burgess Mer- yeah burgess meredith I mean, the Batman villains were pretty much just like really famous people, maybe not at the peak of their careers. You know, sometimes they were, sometimes not. But they were just like brought into like every now and then to get beat up by Batman. Caesar Romero's awesome. And then Jared Leto. Which I, Jared Leto's a great actor, Oscar winning actor. It's fine. I respect the interpretation, but it's just like, that is a very different Joker. I think he had a short runway to work with in terms of time to that is be true. in that role. That is so. true. And I, I, I feel like in a different movie with different things going on, I think he could have done more. I mean, I would have liked to see more of him. I think that interpretation of the characters is interesting. Like Joaquin's Joker in that you can kind of get a sense. Of, like if the Joker existed in real life, he would probably run a strip club. He would probably be involved with, like, gangsters. I don't know if he'd go to the fact of, like, putting damage tattooed across his forehead and wear, like, you know, a metal grill in his teeth. That might be a little beyond the pale. But it's that is an interesting concept. Okay, there you go. Um, all right, let's move on to non-Joker stuff now. What were some of the other movies you saw at the film festival that you really liked? 
Marriage Story is fantastic. Our friend Kylo Ren is in that. Black Widow is also in that. That's some of the best acting they've ever done. I mean, it's uh, Marriage Story is a Netflix movie. It's about a young married couple with a kid who goes through like a divorce and a very increasingly nasty divorce. You watch them fall apart. It's really, really freaking good. It is hard to watch. It's tear jerking, um, but it's really well done. Going into Oscar season and everything, that's going to be hard to beat in a lot of ways. Jojo Rabbit was fantastic. Our friend Taika Waititi, who directed the third Thor, Thor Ragnarok, is directing Thor Love and Thunder. He plays Hitler. It's really interesting. It's, that's another movie that's going to divide people because it's a World War II satire. It's set in like the waning days of World War II. Germany's almost out of the war. They're reeling. Um, it's about like this 10-year-old boy who's part of the Nazi youth. Like He looks up to Hitler. He, he looks up to Hitler so much, you know, he's, his imaginary friend is Adolf. Like this very, very goofy kind of confidence boosting Adolf that he talks to. I mean, like he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he talks to him. It's like imaginary friend is his sounding board. And his mother hides a Jewish girl in like a fake wall in their house. And he finds the girl. And, you know, he's, t- he's been taught by like those Nazi youth teachers. I mean, he goes to like Nazi youth training weekends and stuff. It's, it's really interesting subject matter. But I mean, there's some, there's some jokes that are like, people are going to get hella offended by. There's a whole like, sequence where it's, like, where it's like this German version of like, I want to hold your hand is set to like archival footage of all these people Heil Hitlering. And like Heil Hitlering is, it becomes like, hey, buddy. But it's made fun of. The Nazis are made fun of in a lot of ways. It's, it's almost like taking something really bad and making it kind of like making it a laughing stock. But going back to Jojo, Jojo's a little 10 year old boy. So he, find, he finds the girl and he's been taught you know jews are monsters they're meant to be hunted down and everything but he befriends this this girl and like he under he starts to get to know that you know love is more important than hate and he starts to understand this and it's it is really interesting because as he gets to know the girl they become very close his imaginary friend hitler becomes less goofy and more villainous he becomes more like the movements he does are just like the movements of watching an old newsreel of Hitler doing a speech. It is really interesting the way that happens. It's going to divide people, but I think it's got a lot to say about like learned hate and and love and like friendship. And I think everybody needs to watch it. I think it's kind of an important movie. Okay. Well, so speed go. round, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, fantastic. Really? Yes. This is the, uh, the Christian the, Bale movie. Is that what yeah, Christian of? Bale, Matt Damon. Christian Bale's fantastic, great. It's a lot of car racing in '66. The car racing stuff is badass. It's just a really good flick. Hustlers, really good. I keep hearing Jennifer really Lopez Oscar good. talk. Is she's that crazy? Like, I, yeah, she's gonna get an Oscar nomination. She's, really, she's, she's good. that good. Yeah, it's the best thing she's done since Out of Sight. Wow. Yeah, I was surprised myself. That's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's really good. Um, what else? Sound of Metal. I don't know if it's ever going to get released. It's this really interesting thing. It stars Riz Ahmed, who was in um, Rogue One. It's about a rock drummer who loses his hearing because of all the ex- exposure to noise. But the way the movie happens is everything's closed captioned so that like hearing people and the hearing impaired have the same experience. 
but you get the sense of like what it what it's like to lose your hearing. It's an awesome sound design. It's like you can hear all the guitar shriek as he's playing and as his like his ears are getting pelted by like all the noise around him. When he loses his hearing, it's like everything's muffled. You can't hear anything. You you hear what he hears. And it's really, really it's it's unnerving. Because you're just like, oh my god, I don't want to lose my hearing. But it's also like inspiring because he goes through this whole thing about like he goes to it and he does it like an addict. So he's he's at a path where he's like he's so upset he might go back to you know his addictions again so he he gets some help he falls in with the deaf community he like learns how to how to sign it's very inspiring it like it'll make you want to sign you know learn sign language yourself it's a really really good movie and it's so different than anything you've ever seen just because it puts you in that it's it's very experiential it you it makes you think about experience what it would be like to lose your hearing and it's it's unnerving but it's also inspiring Oh, very interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, Listeners, it's your turn. Are you looking forward to more Orphan Black? What do you think of The Joker? Are you going to go check it out? Any other movies from Toronto that you're excited about? Let us know on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at us directly. I'm at Brett Molina 23. I'm at Brian Truitt. And don't forget, you can email us, too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. That'll wrap it up this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free. While you're there, leave us a rating or review. We love the feedback. And again, it helps other people find the show. And you get a shout out in next week's episode. So there you go. Um, If Apple Podcasts aren't your jam, you can find us too on SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. That'll do it until next week. Nerds out. Later. Later.